0: Hi everybody, welcome to this podcast episode. My name's Jackie Elliott and welcome to Sober Sassy Life. So this episode is called Me Too and I'd be honest with you, I have struggled a little bit about whether I would post this or even record this or not. But I decided that I would. So I hope that this this is helpful. Um, to all of you who listen to this. So I want to start off um, by reading an excerpt from my first book, which was called Sober Ever After, which is really a memoir uh, of my drinking days and also a little bit about my background. So I want to read uh, a little bit from uh, chapter one. So here goes. During one of my moderation attempts, I took up boxing. I hoped that developing my fitness levels would somehow motivate me to drink less. And my 14-year-old granddaughter was exhibiting all the signs of worry that I recognised. She was worried that she was too tall, too fat, not pretty enough, not popular enough. It stirred up old troublesome feelings inside of me as I watched her struggle with makeup and watched her try too hard to be friends with the mean girls. So together we joined a boxing gym and twice a week for two agonising hours I was made to run, squat and pound on cement-like bags with large gloves until every tiny cell in my body was shrieking for mercy. While I hoped that this physical punishment would somehow rid my body of booze like a sweaty exorcism, I had also hoped that my granddaughter's confidence would be bolstered. If nothing else, she could pound her teenage anxiety and worry into a gym bag. I'm not sure if it worked, but she did get some amusement for seeing me in physical pain. One Thursday night, she seemed more infused to go than usual. And the reason was immediately apparent when we arrived at the gym. He was really pretty and he knew it. Short gelled hair, just the right amount of tan and stubble, impossibly white teeth and as he carefully peeled off his sweatshirt, the type of sculpted muscles that are only achieved by narcissistic pumping in front of a mirror. Sullen teenage girls melted into fawning puppies. He leaned into the admiring gaggle, preening and savouring the moment. Just a brush of his hand on an arm, a knowing tilt of his chin, the merest perception of a glance in their direction, and I practically had to run over and catch him, as they swooned and dropped like nine pins. Oh, Mr Bradley, one of them managed to get a whole sentence out without a high-pitched giggle. Will you be coming every week? Mr Bradley was a school teacher. Except when he was out of school, it was, oh, call me Mark. What a fucker. The cool teacher, who somehow gets his rocks off by encouraging these teenage fantasies who thinks it isn't just okay to be their friend and dole out hugs and let them cross all boundaries is actually his reward, the perk of a job. My Call Me Mark was one of the core teachers. He would laugh and joke with the boys, occasionally take a drag of their cigarettes behind the horticultural buildings and once he caused a stir of excitement when he left a copy of Playboy on his desk. I was in love. He was really careful not to actually really touch me, until I was just about 16. Up until then, it was just discreet hand-holding, hugs and meetings after school for extra tuition. My, call me Mark, like all of the men, and sometimes women who abuse their power over children, was a predator who bolstered his own self-esteem by feeding into my teenage confusion and loneliness. It was all over quite quickly. The school board fired Call Me Mark and offered counselling to me, the victim. Except that I didn't feel like a victim, I felt like one half of a tragic love story. My parents were sideswiped, devastated. I screamed and cried and pleaded. I recall one evening as my dad poured himself a large whiskey, took a deep breath and tried to question me as gently as possible while containing his rage wanting all the details that no father ever really wants to hear. As I told him, crying, I watched as he sipped his whiskey, and noticed as it seemed to calm him a little. Hours later, when the murmur of anxious and angry voices from my parents' bedroom finally died down, I crept downstairs. I poured myself a glass of whiskey. I sat in the darkness and sipped it, and I gradually calmed down enough to go back to bed and go to sleep. So that is an excerpt from the chapter of, um, of my book and it's, here's the thing, I've never really discussed this before um, because it was another time and place and although at the time it felt like my world was collapsing, you move on and in time it does kind of fade into the background. And when I quit drinking, inevitably I did my fair share of navel-gazing um, I don't think it's possible to embark on a life-changing journey without a parallel voyage of self-awareness. And so my relationship, let's call, that, call it that for a minute, with a teacher that started when I was 15 and he was teaching at my school and he was 30, it came rushing back into the forefront of my mind. Now I want to say this, there is a tendency when we are in the first throes of sobriety To look back at our past and to search frantically for a clue, a reason for our dependency. And so I have been extremely careful not to shout, yay, there it is. That's the reason I was drinking a bottle of wine at night. It's all his fault. Because firstly, that's not accurate. There were many factors that contributed to my drinking problem. It's never one thing. And there are many, many women who've suffered far worse than I who never ended up hitting the bottle. Secondly, the reason why I used to drink, the reasons why I used to drink, are far less important to me than the reasons that I will never drink again. So having said that, I thought I would add my voice to the very sad Me Too stories in the hope that it might help. So here are some frightening facts about child abuse and and predators. Lots of children don't think they're being abused. And it's possible, though I can't get into abuser minds, that they don't see it as abuse. Certainly my abuser told me that he thought it was, you know, pure love. And I was totally head over heels. I thought this was a tragic love story, a Romeo and Juliet thing. And as I say, I was devastated when my parents found out and all the resulting drama ensued. But I refused For years, really, to accept that it was anything else but a love story gone wrong. But that's not what it was. I was a bit lonely. A chubby teenager with skin problems. Who, you know, loved to read and loved to write. And I was totally flattered by all of this attention. So, the second thing you need to know is about the blame. Because years afterwards, I still blame myself. I thought that I was a manipulator. I believed that I had somehow attracted him, um, and when it was all found out, I believed that it was my fault that he lost his job, although he should have been arrested. I carried that guilt for some time. I not only felt guilty about that, but I felt guilty about upsetting my parents, for letting them down, and for disrupting my younger brother's life. The third thing is, is that the ripple effect is subtle, but it carries on for a long time. So for quite a few years afterwards, the relationship with my parents was strained. And if I'm angry about anything, I'm angry about that. And the relationship pattern that I fell into after that was really quite toxic for most of my adult life. I got married quite early uh, to somebody who looked great on paper because all I wanted was a, a normal life, a calm and normal life. And so the poor guy that, that I married fit that bill, and of course the relationship didn't last. So there is more ripples of destruction that hurt other people. After that, I had a relationship for 15 years with somebody who was quite emotionally abusing. Um, that was a relationship filled with drama and chaos, and after that, I fell into another toxic relationship with a married man. It took me a long time to figure out how to be an adult in relationships. And finally, somebody pointed out the pattern to me that that I was only really comfortable with a relationship in the middle of drama, in the middle of chaos. Now, I drank in some part to numb all of that. and I'm not telling you this to, to say that to excuse my drinking or, or as I say, to to tell you that that's the reason why i drank because there are many many reasons but i'm telling you this so that you can see how uh abuse or a predator in early years can have an effect even in a really subtle way through somebody's life so what can we do about it what does this me too hashtag mean and how Will it change apart from the fact that some very powerful men at the moment are being outed and losing their their jobs? It's great that actresses and celebrities are bringing this to the world's attention, but in order for that Me Too campaign to be effective, it has to trickle down. So, here's some things that you can do. Firstly, if you have never been abused or harassed, and frankly, are a little skeptical about the stories that you're hearing, Maybe you're thinking, oh, gee, everybody's jumping on the bandwagon. Or, you know, that doesn't really sound so bad. Or maybe you are genuinely confused as to why the stories didn't come out, why people didn't report them at the time. I can tell you this. Often, we don't even know it's abuse at the time. Until you have a benefit of logic, until you can actually have... Uh, The rationale to actually see the situation as it was You don't really realise what's going on It's just all very confusing My abuser was somebody in power Somebody who was charged with being responsible for me For educating me He took full advantage of that situation Even if, on some level, he had thought that what he was doing was out of some twisted love, he should never have acted on that impulse. And here's a big red flag his behavior required me to keep a secret. So, here that's my second point. If you want to do something and stop this happening again, educate. Your daughters, your sisters, your nieces, anybody, all of your children, your boys as well. But secrets are poison. Secrets are dangerous things. If you are in a situation where you are being pressured to keep us a secret, unless it's a Christmas present or a surprise birthday party, it's dangerous. Reward your children for Telling you secrets for being open. Let them know that relationships should never, ever, ever be secret. If they're secret, they're wrong. Teach your children about being truthful and open. And make sure they know that the truth is never scary. Also, please raise your sons to respect women. It was, it's, it's, uh, it's not enough to treat them to be um, polite and have good manners. Raise them to treat women as equals. Raise your son to be good men with moral standards and decency and teach them that it is not weak to be a woman's equal finally if you are listening because you are struggling with your sobriety and you have something in your past that is troubling you that is sitting in your stomach like a great big horrible knot please reach out for help talk to a counsellor talk to a really good friend ask for help because once you've got rid of that The telling of your story is cathartic in itself. You'll feel so much better when you get it out. So thank you for listening to this episode. I hope that it was helpful and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye for now.